amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Unforbidden truth. Welcome to Unforbidden Truth. I'm Andrew Truth. Today I'll be speaking with the authors of Confessions of a Prison Cook, Erica Sommerfield and Philip Longo. Philip is a former federal prisoner who was a cook while he was incarcerated. The book chronicles his time in prison, from stories about cooking, fellow prisoners, guards, and of course recipes that fuse food and crime, hence the name of the book Confessions of a Prison Cook, a fusion of food and crime. Here is my interview with Erica Sommerfield and Philip Longo. Can both of you introduce yourselves individually, tell me a little bit about yourselves, and tell me about the book Confessions of a Prison Cook, what it's all about, and what the book means to both of you? Okay. Uh, My name is Philip Longo. Uh, before becoming a chef at prison, I was a banker. I built houses with my brothers and I had a billiard club in New York. Then I got into trouble and went to jail. <laughs> okay, and my name is Erica Sommerfeld. I'm a publicist in Los Angeles and a magazine writer and blogger. And as I got to know Phil and hear his wild and crazy story, I decided in 2012 to start writing our book about his stories and about historical food and crime. And this is our book, Confessions of a Prison Cook, A Fusion of Food and Crime. How did you two meet? Did you meet him like straight out of prison? No, we met in a dog park (laughs) after I got out of prison. And I was, as we got friendlier, I was telling her about my background and, and when she heard about my background. She said, that's interesting stories. Well, he would tell me crazy stories about one-legged assist, uh, you know, one-legged co-cooks where they take off his leg and stuff it with vegetables. You might've read that in the book under, um, in our, our, one of the chapters and, you know, and stories about his mom being attacked by the prison dogs after smuggling lasagna in her girdle. And I'm thinking, this, you know, I'm a writer, so my brain is, you know, going there, and I just thought, this, somebody's got to write this down. This is, this is crazy. Um, and then Phil's a really good cook, so we decided just kind of tongue-in-cheek for fun to follow each of the stories with a recipe that is kind of just a tongue-in-cheek title um, to go with the story. So we make the book easy to read, fun. It's in small, no pun intended, digestible chapters. And, um, but yeah, I just, it was a story I felt that had to be read. And plus, true crime and food are like two of the biggest subjects in media. So, yeah. Right. Definitely. Especially Italian food and true crime at that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, 
Phil, can you give me just a brief little history about yourself pre-prison? You know, uh, you know, what were you, you know, uh, you know, committing, you know, uh, criminal activity at an early age or was that later on in life, you know, up until you did go to prison or was that even your first stint in prison? Um, no, I was a relatively good boy until I got to prison uh, where I became a cop, obviously to chef, but I had been in banking and building and uh, we had a club in New York, and uh, that's where the trouble started. And and just a little bit about the case that did land you uh, in prison. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I had nothing to do with food, but a, a friend of mine had been uh, arrested, and he was out working for the government and dragged me in. So would that just be conspiracy then? Is that yeah. what that was? Yeah. Okay. Um. So, so first violent offender so you know that's why our book doesn't take place with you know all of the stereotypical stuff about prison he made a boo-boo in the 90s he paid for it and um you know we just we're not a typical prison tale of like scary max security and, and that type of thing right right he, phil wasn't shanking guys left and right over a bottle of pasta or <laughs> Just salt and pepper. That's all he was really shaking. Um, but, you know, I, I just want to draw reference that the book opens with Phil's childhood and with the crime and what happened. And, um, you know, it's a funny story because he used to run this like he was like 19 years old and he used to run this poker game above a movie theater. And, you know, they even then they had food that they were training around, you know, for poker. And then you know, years later, as we saw, talk about in the book, a handful of Cheetos, which is the big poker story. Um, you know, same thing. Here he is years later trading grape soda and Beano and Cheetos at a, at a poker game. So, you know, that maybe that was his story to come because food always seemed to be intertwined. And, and, and didn't you take home people's groceries for a quarter? <laughs> when, at one time when I, when I lived in Brooklyn, we used to take our wagon over to the <laughs> A&P. I was, I was about nine years old and go up to people and say, can I carry your groceries home for you and put them in the wagon? And they would give us a quarter. So he was meant to be <laughs> in food, work, slash crime. So how long after you got to prison did you start, you know, getting into like cooking and everything? I know food is really important when one is in prison. So I imagine at first you were just having crappy food and wanted to move on up, right? Well, uh, my first year in prison, I was in the penitentiary and uh, I was working on the service line. Uh, one of the uh, gangsters had got me a job uh, on the service line in exchange for my dessert. And uh, then I moved into the kosher kitchen for a year. And then after that, I was transferred to the camp where I became the chef for approximately 100 inmates. And of course, in the camp, we had uh, visitation from outside people all the time and they were smuggling in all kinds of stuff. Uh, at one time I was also the camp driver, a town driver, and I was able to get money from the uh, inmates and go shopping for them in the grocery stores and salamirias in town. And so we had, a, we had a crew that we cooked for about uh, seven or eight guys um, and the uh, stuff that was smuggled in by their visitors. So, so when you would get money to go out and shopping and everything, that was authorized by the guards then that let you go in, then come back in, go back out? 
uh, I, I was authorized to take a car. I wasn't authorized to go shopping. <laughs> so I would, I would have, I would have a, uh, let's say a trip to the microwave place to get some microwaves fixed. And on the way back, I'd stop in the Salamiria and pick up our steaks and uh, salamis and bread and whatever. We do have one story where they, I don't know if you've made it there yet, Andrew, but it's called Puss in Boots Buffet. And uh, they have a little extra time. And again, kind of an unbelievable story. You're like, what are you talking about? You're an inmate in jail. How did you stop at the strip club? But read the book, you'll understand. And they got to pig out on like a really greasy, yummy strip club buffet. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that food in prison is actually pretty healthy. It's kind of the basics of your, your food groups, you know, and so they got to chow down on pigs in a blanket and spare ribs and chicken wings. So um, taking the car for him was something really special. And uh, we also have a chapter called um, Truck a Stop where he goes and picks up the, um, the foods for the, the kosher population at Otisville. Um, and gets stopped by a guard who like make, he doesn't have a manifesto, makes him like un, unpack the whole truck and ends up stealing the kosher donuts. So, I mean, these are just, you know, it's, it's, somebody had to put this down. That's all, you know. So would you, so would you say your, your stint in prison then was pretty, I guess, more enjoyable than some guys being locked down like 23, seven and just felt like you could much, much easier. Yeah. Without, without a doubt. I mean, in, in the camp, you could uh, go out uh, 24 hours a day. You could walk outside. We had our own gym. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a circumference that you couldn't step outside of. But other than that, you were free to smoke and drink and do whatever you wanted at 24 hours a day. Well, not drink, drink. Not drink. He drink. means drink coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They were, you know, there were two things they were crazy about in prison. One was pornography and the other one was booze. And as long as you, you know, as long as you didn't violate that, uh, you were fine. And, and if they did, if you did violate that, you generally would get shipped back to the penitentiary. And I'd be remiss in not mentioning, sorry, that um, we have a chapter called The Hunger Game. And he, there was a, uh, a, a guard named Raj, and he would come down from the prison atop the hill and bring Phil pornos, VHSs, and Phil would make him his best version of tikka masala. And we, we talk about it in the book. So, you know, he, we didn't have all the ingredients, but some of the pizza flakes from the night before were the spices and things like that. So, um, you know, the, we, we believe it or not have managed to take all kinds of different subjects and tie them into his food experience there. So. There was, there was this, there was a little, uh, I guess, little paragraph or a little story in the book that I found pretty interesting. And it was when you first got to prison, I believe there was a, you had said it was a, an assassin of sorts that kept trying to give you a junk food goodie bag and you kept refusing it. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I thought that was probably one of the most interesting yeah. stories in the book. Yeah. This guy comes over to me while I'm in prison when I first got there and uh, he says to me, uh, do you need anything? And I, you know, I, I don't know the guy and I, I don't want to be indebted to him. And, you know, I need everything, but I don't, I don't want to tell him that. And uh, then he comes over afterwards and he's got a bag of stuff and it's uh, sneakers, 
because the shoes they give you, you can't wear. Uh, he's got tuna, he's got uh, ice cream, he's got uh, all kinds of goodies. And he gives it to me. And, you know, first I'm a little reluctant to, you know, to take it from him. But I, I, I sense he's Italian, so I feel a little more comfortable with that. And then he said, I says, uh, you know, uh, what do I owe you for this? And he says, you don't owe me anything. Just pass it on. I said, I will, I will, I promise. I, I later found out he was uh, he was on trial. He hadn't been convicted yet, but he was a hitman. He was a, he was an assassin for one of the one of the families. And he had like twenty murders. But he was super nice. Super nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely little assassin, and we call him the killer little shrimp because mm -hmm. he was so short. Yeah, a tiny guy. Yeah, a lot of the Italian gangsters that I've met seem to be pretty nice guys. Like I met Tony Montana actually in Las Vegas, and he was the sweetest, sweetest old man you'll ever meet with this <laughs> cute, cute little dog. And his freezer was full of chicken and you would never think he was his. I mean, he was part of the Chicago outfit, so he's part of the mob, but his nicest guy you'd ever meet. And you would never suspect him of being this, you know, violent gangster is just as loves his cute little dog to death. <laughs> Yeah, I watch uh, Mike Francisi. Uh, you know, he's a YouTuber, and uh, I I know of him and I know about him. And you, yeah, you're right. You never think this was a dangerous guy, but he's a terrible guy, terribly dangerous. What were your What were your uh, three favorite dishes to to uh, cook in prison for your you know your friends and the guards and whoever? Oh well, um, <laughs> very, very best was. Uh, Sausages with uh, broccoli rob for Milo. <laughs> for Milo, uh, which you made it kind of like a sauce, and then you put over pasta, and uh, I loved it. <laughs> and then we. Uh, but Milo we, requested that, yeah, right? That was yeah. like his favorite from Phil. He would. Yeah. Milo was a big gangster, and he would request that from Phil. We have the recipe in the book. <laughs> right, Milo. Milo was one of the guys who would give me cash to go shopping, <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> We've made a lot of uh, eggplant, uh, eggplant, uh, parmesan, um, everybody in the group like that. And of course, uh, filet mignon. <laughs> we used to get that. They had a, a, we have a story where some of the lawyers of the gangsters come and drop off these filet mignons. And then Louie, the kitchen cop who like hates Phil and hates everybody, little Louie makes them cut it up into like uh, for the entire uh, entire hundred people for pepper steaks. Yeah, makes them cut up these like special <laughs> filet mignons as pepper steak for the general inmates mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just for him and his crew. And it was like, ah, oh, knife in your heart. Was there ever any type of, uh, you know, prison politics when it came to working in the kitchen with whether it's the Italians or anybody else that was back there? Yeah, uh, actually, it was the Italian prison cop that got me my job in the kosher kitchen. And then when I transferred to the camp, he also came to the camp. And so he was the camp uh, overcook for uh, like six months, maybe. And they would rotate. They would come back like a year later and then uh, be the same. And he was he was sort of a good guy. He watched out for me all the time. You know, he'd catch me. He, you know, taking stuff out of the kitchen that I wasn't supposed to be taking. And, you know, he just put it back. <laughs> you know, I had, uh, I remember one time I had a uh, group of peppers in cellophane wrapped around my neck. 
And he says, is that what you call your Colombian necktie? <laughs> nah, it's just some peppers I want to get out. <laughs> and, and also he cooked for the guards too, um, as well as the inmates. And so when they would collect contraband, tell me if I've got this right, if they would collect contraband on the surface, they would take his contraband from, I like to call it his um, pantry, but it was really his prison locker and, um, and then give it back to him like on the sly because they know that he were going to he was going to use it to make their own meals yeah. and make their meals better so super political right yeah I mean, yeah a lot, a lot of times i would have to go back to you know one of the guards and say hey you know that that salami out of my uh, locker this <laughs> morning <laughs> i need i need that to make your dinner tonight <laughs> and oh sure, go ahead and yeah. the other thing is they would let me into the kitchen at any time i could go into the kitchen two o'clock in the morning and say I needed to cook something or I was in the middle of doing something and I didn't finish and they'd let me in. Hmm. So you basically had, had access around the clock even if you were hungry or had the munchies or whatever, you could just yeah. go and eat? Go in the kitchen, cook something up. Hmm. We have we have a story um, about the, um, it's called the Obese Eight, where some ladies of the night crawl through the window of the prison camp and come and party with, the, with him and the black crew and um, Phil is like sort of sent to the kitchen in the middle of the night to go round up some snacks for the ladies. <laughs> he had, he had, yes, access, access. Did you, did you, did you ever have any guys wanting you to like smuggle in drugs in any of the food or anything when you would come back in? No, no, nobody ever asked you to do that. Nobody ever tried to smuggle drugs into the camp. We do have it in the book though, that, um, some some contraband, some fresh squeezed orange juice was smuggled in a um, in a cottage cheese container inside the salad bar. <laughs> so, not drugs, but um, but you know, pretty hot on the prison market. Fresh squeezed orange juice. Two two of my uh, friends in the prison used to work in the uh, sanitation place where the uh, everything was recycled. And visitors would uh, drop drugs in the toilet, and they would fish it out and resell it. But uh, I wasn't involved with that. And like in the book, the recipe that goes with that story is um, dirty rice with chickpeas. <laughs> so you know, we just we have we have fun with it. They're all workable recipes, but that's an example. We chose dirty rice for that story. <laughs> So, so a lot of these uh, recipes in the book, are those a lot that you used in prison that you would cook for the guys and guards like a lot of the time with? No, no. The, the recipes are tongue in cheek. Uh, they relate to the stories, but not, they're not recipes that I cook uh, for the inmates other than the broccoli rock for Milo. Um, what year were, were you uh, released from prison? 2001. <laughs> Kind of a life-changing year, world-changing year. Yeah, yeah, I bet 9-11 happened that year, huh? Right. Um, what, what, what was the hardest thing for you to, you know, adjust to back in the society after being released from prison? Being people, uh, you know, uh, when, you're, when you're with the inmates, uh, you're very guarded all the time. You're guarded about what you say, who you're talking to, and... You have to get back to being uh, open 
with people. And you have to realize, you know, even in these days, you know, um, a coffee server is now a barista. You know, <laughs> things things have changed. Water water comes in a bottle. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to believe, you know, uh, and you've got to get used to that. That's the hardest thing to change. Did you see yourself starting to miss the guys in there that, you know, cooking for them and having them eat your food and everything and missing the stories and talking to them all the time. And yeah, I, I missed the, I missed the guys I made friends with definitely, but you know, I was on supervised release when I came out. So for five years, I couldn't get in touch with any of them. Do you talk to any of them to this day? Uh, just one. Um, where can people purchase this book uh, and find you too on social media? Um, we can, um, here's our book. You can just look on Amazon for Confessions of a Prison Cook, A Fusion of Food and Crime. You can also download six free chapters. Amazon offers that. And um, we have a website that's kind of cool. It's foodandcrime.com, F-O-O-D-A-N-D-C-R-I-M-E. And you, it's kind of a special food and crime search engine. And if you put in a food, um, we will spit out the related crime. So it's kind of like a fun game. So if you put in, you know, uh, chocolate pudding, we will tell you some chocolate pudding related crimes. So we kind of have that fun aspect of it. And we also have um, over a thousand videos on our YouTube channel, which is um, at, um, a fusion of food crime. So a fusion of food crime and 30 different categories of breaking down food and crime, war food and crime stories, TV food and crime, special category for pizza because that definitely seems to always stand out as the ultimate food uh, and crime story. And I have to say an in proportionate amount of stories come out of Florida. I can't explain it. <laughs> I just know that two out of three crazy food stories come out of the state of Florida. So, it's in the water. <laughs> it's in the water. Um, and so, yeah, but we would be so thrilled to have people read it. We have food and crime, uh, little cartoons from the New Yorker and other places to open the chapters. So we make it, here's one. And he says, um, the prison food was so bad, the inmates decided to smuggle in court, uh, Cordon Bleu chef. <laughs> So each of the stories has a uh, true crime bite at the end. So um, the story Phil was telling you about the people at the sanitation, and uh, I told you it was dirty rice with chickpeas. The news pairing is an ice cream shop in Tokyo has become famous for its poof ice cream, a load of soft swirled chocolate served in a toilet themed container. <laughs> so if Bill's stories aren't enough, we have real true crime bites as well. And finally, the end of the book is things like um, the Titanic and Alcatraz and all kinds of historic food and crime. So we hope your readers and viewers love it. We spent 10 years writing it and we're so grateful, Andrew, that you had us on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. And if, uh, if there's anything you guys like to add, you know, before we wrap this up, you know, uh, feel free to do so. I mean, I think um, we're good. We, you know, are planning on doing a lot of promotions around the country. We're thinking about a food and crime food truck where we sell the book and actually have some of the servers dressed up like characters in the book. 
Um, we're hoping to sell it to TV. So it's very character driven. Um, there's Joey, the hit man roommate of Phil's that uses like mayonnaise um, and oil from the kitchen to groom his nails and his hair. He's like a vain hitman. And we have, of course, our one-legged assistant cook, Bobby, and um, some guards that are really pretty wild too. So we're going to have some look look for us, you know, around the country with our food truck and our characters. We're hoping to do Good Morning America and big shows like that. Um, and we're going to play the game where viewers will try to stump us with at food and crime and then win a book if they stump us. So we're, as you can see, I stay awake at night wondering what foods I'm missing. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's been a labor of love and it is a um, very saucy and salty tale indeed. That was my interview with Erica and Philip. You can purchase their book, Confessions of a Prison Cook, directly through Amazon. For extra content, make sure to hit up my Patreon, patreon.com slash unforbiddentruth. Whatever platform that you're listening to this on, be sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe, and if you want to go above and beyond, leave a review and let me know what you think of the show. Thank you for listening. See you on the next one. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.